All right. Man, it has been such a joy to be with you guys this weekend. Um, thank you for being so gracious to me and our group. And, um, and it's just had some really great moments just connecting with some of you. And uh, it's been really meaningful. I hope that you've also met the Lord through the Word. And one last time, I know um, we do a conference like this as well at Kansas State, uh, fall conference, and uh, Sunday morning is, is tough. So I'm not sure how much sleep you've gotten or how alert you are, um, but let's, let's go at it. Let's go at it. Let's try to connect. We're going to still be in Colossians 1, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Colossians 1. And what we're going to do is actually look at um, three verses after the hymn. And so remember, the Christ hymn is the beginning of the letter. Um, after he says thank you in some really amazing ways, um, how he prays for this church, then he dives right in with this Christ hymn. And then what happens, what we're going to look at this morning is he personalizes it. And so we saw in the Christ hymn, the language changed um, right away. And it was just grandiose um, talking about Christ. All of the pronouns are our third person because it's all about Christ. And then in verse 21, it, it shifts dramatically and it's all personal pronouns. It's all you, 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 you. And so now as we've seen Christ preeminent over all, then what Paul does is he says, now I'm gonna apply this to you. And the you is, is plural. He's writing to a church, a, a body of believers and he's saying, I wanna apply this Christ hymn to your life. And so that's what he's going to do. Let's go ahead and read it, verses 21 through 23. These are some of my favorite verses. Um, I was a worship leader for um, 15 years and have just kind of trained up my um, successor and handed it off to him a couple years ago, um, which has been a really sweet part of my um, journey in ministry. But I would use these verses, especially 21 and 22, so often as like just a call to worship to connect our lives to the gospel. So these are dear verses to me. Let's read them together. Colossians 1.21, And you, which if you were hearing this letter, man, that the you would, it would, whoa, because you'd been just hearing all about Christ, 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 he, he, he. And then now, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of Flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, let's walk through these verses uh, one at a time. Verse 21. Uh, verse 21 is not, it doesn't um, paint us in the best light. Let's look at these words. So first he says, you who once were alienated. This again, similar to reconciliation, alienation is a relational word. It's a relational word, similar to um, reconciliation, like I said. So I want to illustrate that. What, what does it feel like to be alienated from another person? My wife's sister, her name's Dana, um, Dana married Shun, so Shun was my brother-in-law, and they were married for about 12 years, and they had three kids, and their marriage was never um, very stable. 
There was a lot of, um, whenever the family would get together for Christmas or when, whenever we were in their home or around them, you could just tell there was tension in the marriage. And it ended um, in a pretty ugly divorce. There was like moments of just real fits of rage. Um, Shun is like a 6'4 dude. He's very large. And it was uh, scary for the, for the family um, to be around it. And they have three daughters. Um, their lives are marked by this. Um, it's, a, it's a real part of grief. It's been about five years since that divorce. And it's really changed our family. It's changed Dana, my, my sister-in-law. It's changed how we relate to her. And, and it's, been, it's been hard. And, and Shun, when I see him now, I move towards him. I talk to him. But there's, there's like an alienation, right? He's not invited to Christmas um, there's tension over when Dana can have the kids. And, and there's this like thing in our family that is challenging. And some of you maybe lived that. Maybe you were the kid that had to go through some of those things. Alienation. It's a relational um, fracturing. It's not the way it should be. And so what Paul's saying is you were like that with God. You had broken the relationship. Let's keep reading. He says, you were hostile in mind. Um, this Greek word for hostile can also be translated as hateful. And so what he's saying is you, you have broken this relationship with God because of sin, and you actually, in your sin, you're like hateful toward God. Our minds um, can be blinded by sin and pride. I think of uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, you know, famously says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We were unable to see Christ as he truly is when we were not believers. And so we were hostile in mind toward God. And then he says, we were doing evil deeds. So it's like a trifecta, right? Alienated, we'd broken the relationship. We were hateful toward God and our sin. We were slaves to sin is what Romans talks about, a kind of slavery where our hearts are held captive by sin. We, we almost have to obey sin as if it's a slave master. And this is the presentation of humanity in the gospel. I think a message that is definitely in our culture that diminishes Christ, we've been talking about that, right? This weekend, a message is that, yeah, people are pretty good. Like, everyone's a pretty good person. Or, or you'll hear, like, what do you know about this? Oh, yeah, like, she's a really good person. And the Bible has no category for this outside of Jesus, this idea that you can be a pretty good person. The, the world is marred by sin, our own lives are marred by sin. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is, a, this is a reality for each one of us, each one of our stories. Apart from Christ, the Bible would say we were pretty bad people. And that's not a very popular message today. So, okay, the morning isn't starting out great for us, right? Verse 21, it's like, all right, yes, I'm so glad I'm here. No, it's not good. 21's not good. But 22, I mean, it's like hit the brakes because here we go. This is one sentence, 21 through 23 in the Greek. Uh, the ESV keeps that. It's great. And, and in this sentence, in the Greek, we can learn what the main verb is just from the grammar in Greek. And the main verb in this one awesome sentence is to reconcile. And so even as Paul is applying the hymn, which is so Christ-centered, when he applies it to us, Christ is at the center. It's what he does. 
And that's what verse 22 is all about. It gets better. Let's read it again. Verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so it's a lot of what we talked about last night, that Christ is preeminent over reconciliation and redemption. I think one thing of note that, that's interesting is um, Paul is really emphatic and clear to talk about the body of flesh and by his death. Like, he's wanting to say, Colossians, like, this is real. Like, Jesus was a historical person who really died on the cross. It's not just an idea. It's a real fact. And I think what happens in 22 is you see this reconciliation, but if you keep reading, it just, Christ presents us. Like he died for us in order to present us holy, without blemish, above reproach. And this feels like too much. There's moments when I meditate on the gospel and I get to, to ideas like this, or I get to the ideas like I'm a co-heir with Christ. And there's moments when I, I think about the gospel and I'm like, I don't know about this. Like, I don't think this is right. And I have to kind of look at it again. And this is one of those moments. So there's some really bad math going on in, this, in these two verses, right? If you have verse 21, us, alienated, um, hostile, hateful to God, um, doing evil deeds, slaves to sin, that's us. And then plus 22a, which is Christ's work, the, the main verb in the Greek, right? He reconciled us. So, I mean, that's pretty powerful. But then I, I just don't get the, the equal sign of like, I'm presented to Christ holy and blameless and above reproach. What this speaks of is that Christ is proud of you. He's proud to bring you to the Father and present you. And, and, and when God sees you, he doesn't see all of your past and your sin he sees Jesus. If you're with Christ, he sees Christ. And so he's, he's proud to be associated with you. And he presents you to himself for his own glory. What this is, is the difference between mercy and grace. And you've probably heard this before. Mercy is when you don't get punished for something you deserve. But grace is even further. It's when you're given a gift that you, you have not earned. And so not only are you avoiding punishment, right? The cross um, gets us out of the punishment for our sin, but now you're given something that's just so much greater, a gift you could never earn. I want to illustrate this, um, the grace in the gospel. It would be like this. So maybe you're, um, you're late to work or something like that, and you get in your car and you're like, I got to go. And so you just make the decision, I'm going to hit it. And you are like pedal to the metal. And you're ready to get there. You're trying as hard as you can. And you know that there's a school zone. And you know you're going to go through it. And you just fly through it 40 miles an hour over um, the, the 20, right? Most of the time, school zones are 20. And you're just like 60 miles an hour. I don't know if you can ever do that in L.A. or San Diego. But um, in Kansas, you can. So, you know, if you want to come visit, you can drive really fast. So you're just hitting it. You're, you know what you're doing, but you're doing it. And you get pulled over, and the cop walks up to the car, and he's like, do you know how fast you're going? And you're like, yeah. And he is in full, I mean, you can't lie, right? You can't be like, my speedometer's off, I don't know, right? My tires are too big, maybe. 
There, nothing will work, right? So he is in full purview of the law to pull you out of that car and handcuff you and take your license. It is suspended. You cannot do that, right? There's some uh, traffic violations that will get you arrested. But so imagine if the cop walks up and he says, listen, I'm going to write you this ticket because you deserve it, but I'm actually going to pay the fine for you, and I'm going to go with you before the judge. We're going to go to court, um, and I'm going to take all of the punishment. I'll go to prison. I'll get my license revoked. I'll just tell the judge, just punish me. Uh, yeah, yeah, she did it, but, but just punish me. That's mercy, and that's crazy, right? The cop doesn't ever do that. But grace is even more than that. Okay, grace is even more. Grace is the cop coming up to the car and saying all of that stuff that you don't get the, the punishment you deserve. But then he's saying, listen, I'd like to go with you and buy you a new car. I noticed that it doesn't have all that it needs, right? Let's go get you a brand new car. I've got a budget for this. I just love to bless people that, that drive 60 in a school zone. Come on, come with me. Let's go. And what if the cop was like, listen, I've got a, a debit card here. It just is always refilled, and no matter the price of gas, you'll never have to pay for gas again in your life. It'd be like, you'd be, uh, and then he's like, hey, just take your shoes off, I'll rub your feet. <laughs> Let's be, pal like, it's really cringy, right? It's like, I broke the law, like, I knew what I was doing. And no, I mean, I, I think there's something in us that even is just like, no, no, like, don't, stop it, what are you doing? And I think when we see grace, for what it truly is, which is in this verse, Christ presenting me, a sinner, holy and blameless and above reproach, like I'm in heaven somehow, and Christ is like, this is my daughter in Christ. This is my daughter. Here she is. She's holy. She's perfect. I mean, what is that? That doesn't make sense. And that's gospel math for you. It's just too good. It doesn't make sense. Okay, verse 23, this is where it gets a little interesting. Um, here he goes. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Okay, this verse um, throws some people off, and I understand it. I've wrestled with it. I've meditated on it. This word, if, it's like, okay, does that mean that it depends on me? Does that mean I can lose my salvation? Like, what is all wrapped up in this and I'll just tell you um, where I'm at on this. I believe that this um, true believers, those who have been born again, those who have the spirit indwelling, their identity has been changed. We talked about this, right? You've been crucified with Christ. You're a new creation. True believers will persevere. And you can be around the people of God and you can try to talk like the people of God. I think that's what my life was until after my freshman year of college. I was kind of blending in with the people of God, but I was not truly regenerated. So that's how I make sense of this. Also, something that really helps, if you look at the beginning there of 23, um, the ESV says, if indeed. And what we're doing there, the translation, um, there's two words in Greek. The first word is if. And then the second word is this, uh, it's G-E is how you phonetically say it in the Greek. And it's like just an, we really can't translate it very well. It, it alters the if. And what it means is if, and I'm sure of this, if, and I'm sure you will, would be a way we could translate it. I like the ESV, if indeed, I think that's good. But still, you can read it and think, well, I may not, right? Paul adds this little G-E 
I don't know if it's a participle. I don't know my Greek grammar well enough. It's something, right? Um, He adds it to say to this church, I know that you are born again. I know that you will persevere, okay? And so that helps me when I wrestle with this, when I meditate on it. If and indeed, if I know you will. He wants to warn them, though. And so I don't want to totally soften the if, right? We know the conversation. We know the context, this Colossian church There were messages that were diminishing Jesus. All these messages. I've tried to bring current messages that are like that in our world. And they're just, they were getting hit with it. And Paul wants to say, hold on to the gospel if you continue in your faith. And so how does he say we need to do that? It's by building our faith. You see those words there, stable and steadfast. Those are both Greek words that that have to do with construction, And so he's bringing in kind of a built-in analogy here of building. And I think what he has in mind, what Paul's thinking of, is um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, where Jesus talks about at the end of this amazing sermon, go and read it, Jesus says, listen, if you build your life, if you obey my words, you'll be like a person that builds their life on solid ground. And even if the waves crash around it, it is firm and stable. And so this construction analogy, will you continue in the faith? Well, you're going to need to build your faith on Christ, his teaching, abiding in him. He is solid. I took my wife um, on a really special trip in 2015 to celebrate 10 years of marriage. She had never been to Europe before, and um, I traveled my whole life, so I'd, I'd been to Europe a lot of times, and I just was like, She had been on mission trips um, in uh, a lot of cool places, but never been to Europe. And I was like, I want to take her to Europe. So um, we made it work. We made it happen. We went to Rome. We went to Vienna. We went to Salzburg. We got to see the Vienna um, Orchestra perform in this amazing um, place in Vienna. And it was, that was amazing. I was like on the front of my seat just watching these violinists just like, it was awesome. And that trip, um, one thing that was really cool about the trip was the architecture. I, I really enjoy Rome because of the ancient architecture and the biblical, like the early church history and uh, the catacombs and all of these things that just kind of inspire me like, man, this is real. But there's this one building in Rome that I want to um, talk about. I've got a picture of it. It's called the Pantheon. It's a fascinating building architecturally. It's really different, right? Um, But it has persevered through the millennia. This uh, was built originally during the time of Augustus Caesar. It's in the center of Rome. And so now, like, modern Rome is all around it. It's wild. It's a really cool place. And um, that's right around the time of Jesus' birth. So this is a 2,000-year-old building. Um, It's really impressive. It was originally built as a temple to to the Greek gods. But then in 609 AD, it was kind of taken and now it was a Catholic church for over a thousand years. I'm not sure exactly when it stopped being a Catholic church and now it's just a place you go see, right? Like six million people visit the Pantheon um, each year. It's pretty wild. And what an amazing place. I've got a picture of um, my wife and I sitting. There's the column. That's how big one of the columns is. They're, They're massive. And so we're enjoying our trip. You know, took a picture of ourselves What has allowed the Pantheon, what what is so distinct from other buildings in Rome that are ancient, like when you go to other sites in Rome, they're just totally deteriorated. There's like just the facade 
maybe even like half of it, right? Or even there's just one pillar, and you're like, well, I guess that was a temple or whatever. Great, you know? I mean, even the Colosseum is just totally decimated, um, and you can imagine what it's like a little bit on the inside, but not the Pantheon. And the reason is because it was consistently used. It was never abandoned, and they kept keeping it up. And so it was this stable building, but it has to be maintained. And so when it transitioned into a church, that's the reason it's in immaculate condition today is because it never went through a time of unuse. And the same is true with building our faith, right? So you come to Christ and you have to abide in Christ. You have to continually build your life, like to keep maintaining your faith. You have to to do the work, to to read the scripture, to process it with others, to open your life to community, to to walk in faithfulness to to God, to repent of sin. When when sin is, when the Holy Spirit just shines the light on sin, you gotta open that up and, and say, that's not me, and repent and confess. That's maintaining. That's how you can be stable and steadfast. You gotta build your faith, and it's not a one time thing. You gotta, you gotta keep doing it and keep using it. And then this verse 23 back there finishes and, and he, he gets back into his cosmic language. He's talking about the gospel, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And I think there, yeah, he has in, in view these messages that diminish Christ. Don't, don't be shifted by different teachings and things you hear. And then he says, this gospel You heard it, it's been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so that word minister is a Greek word that I prefer the translation servant, um, diakonos or diakona, and it's where we get our word deacon in the church life, and a deacon is a servant of the church. That's what it means. They're not an elder, they're a servant, someone who serves the church. And so he's seeing himself He's saying, listen, don't be moved from the gospel. My whole life is defined by the gospel. That's what he says there. This is what is happening in the world. The gospel is being proclaimed. It's being proclaimed in San Diego, in in LA, and in Manhattan, and in every place under heaven. Like This is what is happening. Like History is moving forward, and the only thing that really matters eternally is the gospel being proclaimed to people and people choosing to stake their life on Jesus. And so if you see your life through that lens, you're a servant of the gospel, and that's what Paul is talking about. We see this clearly in Paul's mind in Philippians. He's in jail, just like he was here when he wrote Colossians. And in Philippians, he's like, I might die tomorrow. I don't know. Go read chapter one. It's fascinating. You just see his mindset, and he kind of like goes back and forth. He's like, all right, if I die for the gospel, he actually says, That'd be better because dying's better because then I'm with Christ. And, and then he's like, but if I live, then, well, I guess I'll probably live because I'll be more useful to the kingdom and for the gospel moving forward. It's really crazy, his whole idea. He never even asked people to like pray that he'd be released from prison. He's just like, pray that I could preach the gospel when he's in prison. I mean, his mindset is so inspiring. And we see it here that he's a servant. You see it in Acts 20, 24. I've got that on the screen. This is Paul talking on his way to Jerusalem. He knows he's gonna face persecution. He says, I do not account my life of any value 
nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Beautiful verse, inspiring verse. Well, I started this um, conference like sharing my testimony, right? I talked about being on this roof in China and having this moment where all of my sin just collided with the cross and the gospel. It's really a powerful moment. I've never been the same person since then. But then I, I came down off that roof and I went back to K-State and, and I had to decide how I was gonna live. And there were moments where I had to choose, like, am I gonna see my life through the gospel or am I gonna just be self-centered still? And, I, and man, this is building your faith, stable and steadfast. I started to read God's word faithfully with fervor. I started to memorize verses. I started to like open up things in my life that were secret to my community. I, I asked someone to disciple me, to mentor me, to give me this one-on-one -on -one back and forth, help me grow in my faith. I started to, I was an RA at the time in the dorms and I started to have a ministry. I started to have opportunities to like talk about Jesus with other people and I learned how to do it. And I learned, man, you gotta pray. And so I, I started praying and praying for people and so much changed in my life uh, the year after that rooftop experience, so much changed. And, and the foundation of my faith was set and I started to build into my faith stable and steadfast, not moves from the gospel. And so I wanna call you to that. What does that look like for you? What do you need to build in to your, your faith right now? Like what aspect of your faith would you say is weak and needs attention? What can you do about that? So I'm gonna wrap up now. Um, we've talked a lot about the preeminence of Christ, right? Kind of big theological words. And I've, I've, I've tried, my goal for this weekend is to bring that idea of Jesus over all, that he's Lord over all, and to try to like bring it into our personal experience. And I just hope, um, we're gonna give you some like extra time to, to meditate, to spend time with God, to think. And, and I hope you can really do that and, and, and let it be personal for you. So I'm gonna have the worship team come up and um, just gonna kind of show you guys how I wanna leave you and give you something. I like to do this at conferences that I'm at. Um, you're gonna have that extra time and I want you to think personally with that time. What needs to change in my life? Where am I susceptible to these messages? And yeah, I've got these questions. I think these, would be, these are really simple. Go ahead and write these in your journal or write these to take because you're gonna have this extra time. And just meditate on things like, okay, where, where is there a message that diminishes Christ that I'm susceptible to? That might be a good prompt. Or, or what do I need to build in my faith to be stable and steadfast? Or maybe even... Um, like, who is one person I want to talk to about something that, that God's been doing in my life? One person. I feel like um, if we would just put words to things that are, are going on inside of us, like, there's so much power in that. When we admit it, when we say, hey, this is what's going on inside of me, and you, you talk about it, there's, there's a lot of power. The Holy Spirit can use that moment.
All right, we're going to continue in worship. I'll pray, and, and then we'll do that, and we'll, we'll close out. So, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this group, for each person here. Um, thank you for how you have led their lives even to this point, for your goodness to us. I just think about that, the, the reality of grace that has been showered and, and just lavished on our lives um, in Christ. It's just too good. And I pray that you would um, just stir our hearts to see that grace more and more, to see how our lives are just dependent on it. As uh, the Gospel of John says, that, that we receive grace upon grace upon grace already given. And I pray that that would really impact us, Lord. So, Yeah, I pray over this uh, extended time alone with you. I just pray um, for, for those in here that are uncomfortable with that or, or not excited about that. I pray that it would be a moment where you would speak into their story, where your Holy Spirit would be just so tangible. And I pray, Lord, just thinking about these uh, words in um, 21 through 23, I just pray over these men and women that they would, um, they would be stable and steadfast. They would not be moved from the hope of the gospel. And I pray that in 40 years from now, their faith would be more vibrant and more alive and more connected to you, Jesus, than it is today. And we just pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.